Glad you guys are here today. Glad you joined us. I know it was a busy week. It was a crazy week for a lot of people. Some of you may have, may have traveled this week and landed back in town, or maybe you were traveling and you're here visiting with us uh, with your family. So we're so glad that you're here with us today. If I haven't met you, my name is John, and uh, we are really excited about this series. In fact, I have been so excited about this series that I've been going a little long uh, with the messages lately. It's true. It's true, particularly over the last few weeks. And, and here's the thing. While I know that you would have no problem whatsoever with sitting here all day long, right? Where's Klutz? Is he? No, he's not here. Okay. <laughs> all right. I know, I know that you would have no problem sitting here all day long and listening to teaching. Uh, unfortunately, our lovely, wonderful people who are in Carolina Kids are not prepared to manage them for the amount of time that I've been making them manage them. And so I first of all want to publicly apologize in all sincerity to them because it's not fair to them. And they, I don't want to put more on them than they already have on them. All right. But last week, I, I, I thought it was going to be a short message, honestly. Um, and it didn't work out that way. And, and so I have, I, if you don't know this, I have a clock down in front of me. All right. I do have a clock here. And I was looking at my clock, and I realized that uh, it was 11.12. And normally what I do with my notes, I have two pages of notes, and I know that if I have two pages of notes, that's going to get me in the ballpark to the length of time I needed to go. But it was 11.12, and I still had half a page left. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Thomas, who was running media in the back, texted Jeremy and was like, hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> something like that. But I looked down, and I realized, I realized that the time was running short, and I didn't want to continue to put all that on the, uh, the Carolina kids, folks. And so I looked at my notes, and I looked at what was left in that message, and I was like, mm, we're done. And I, and I just crash-landed. So if it felt like the end of the message was abrupt last week, that's why. I'm trying to take care of them and honor the folks. I keep pointing this way because some of them are down here, right, Un under my feet, actually, and some of them are back there. But they do such a great job. And first of all, let's just thank them for taking care of our kids and teaching them about Jesus. Um, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I appreciate that. But I just crash-landed the message, so. No, yeah, Jess, made the, Jess wanted you to know that they have not complained at all. And they never would, um, but she did. So um, on, on their behalf, because she knows they would never say anything, right? And I, I get it. I, that's, that's what I want to do. So I had to kind of crash land the message last week. Didn't get to spend as much time on the last couple of verses as I, I wanted to. And I think I've got a little more space in the message this week. And so I, I want to jump to the last verse. And I think it sets the stage for what we're about, about to to read today as we cross over from Galatians 5 into Galatians 6. Um, the very last thing that Paul says is in Galatians 5, and you understand Paul didn't write in chapters and verses, right? So, so he, all these ideas are connected. We just break them up this way. But the last thing that we have in, in chapter 5 is this in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us, this, is a, this is about interpersonal stuff. And what he just talked about, for those of you that may not have been with us last week and aren't familiar with Galatians chapter 5, he had just talked about what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And first he talks about the works of the flesh. So if you're living in the flesh, which we talked about that being sinful living, selfish living, is, which is really the root of, of all of those sins. Selfish living, sinful living. When we're walking in the flesh, here's what you're going to see. And he listed a whole bunch of things, hatred and envy and contentions and jealousy. 
And the, and, the, and the other idea there is that if you're walking in a legalistic, law-based life, which is what these people in Galatia are trying to tell the Galatian Christians they have to do, if you're living that kind of life, that's the kind of thing you're going to see happen. But if you're walking in the Spirit, is what, which is what we as believers are called to do, if you're walking in the Spirit, then you're going to see other things produced in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And almost all of those are interpersonal as well. And so he says, here's what you got to watch out for. You have to watch out for becoming conceited or self-centered or self-focused because that'll cause you to provoke one another, to envy one another, to start comparing yourself to one another, to start pushing other people down so you can be lifted up. And so he's getting ready. To, he's warning them about that, and that's going to flow right into what we talk about today. Because for those of you that haven't joined us in this series, you're not familiar with Galatians, let me give you a quick recap. The reason that Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians is because when he showed up in this area, these were people who were, who were um, Gentiles. They were not Jewish by, uh, by ethnicity or heritage or religion or anything. When he shows up to these Gentiles and he shares with them that they can become a child of God, they can be forgiven for their sins and have eternal life, and they can do that simply by believing in Jesus and if they put their faith in Jesus, they can receive the grace of God, become a child of God, and they can then walk in the spirit in the life he's given to them. So he gives them that message. They receive it with open arms. It transforms their lives. He leaves. And then these Jewish Christians, we call them Judaizers now, these Jewish Christians come in and they start telling these Galatian believers, that's not really the truth. The truth is, yes, you do have to believe in Jesus for salvation, but you also have to follow the law. You have to put yourself under the law. And so you, yes, you believe in Jesus. This is what they're telling them. This is not true, but this is what they're telling them. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but then you also, in order to be saved and in order to maintain your salvation, in order to stay saved, you have to get circumcised. You have to follow the Ten Commandments. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to tithe. You have to all of these observe the Passover, all these things, which wasn't true. And so when Paul found out that that's what they were being told, he writes the letter of Galatians back to them. As far as we know, it's his first letter that he writes to to churches. And he says, that's not true. And he spends the first, you know, four and a half chapters or so explaining why that's not the truth. And now he's helping us to see, helping them to see and helping us to see why this matters so deeply. Why does it matter so much if someone lives legalistically versus if someone lives and walks in the spirit? What is the difference? And one of the differences is that when you're walking legalistically or you're walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, it turns your life into a competition with other people, Amen. okay? And, and what he needs them to understand and what we need to understand is that there are no spiritual power rankings, okay? It's getting toward the end of the, the uh, football, the, the college football season. I'll talk about college football for a second for some of you. I see App State and heads nodding. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yesterday, there was a big game yesterday in college football. Ohio State played Michigan. It was for, it was like the game. Number two versus number three in the country. Whoever wins gets to go to the Big Ten Championship. Then ultimately out into the college playoff. The other one may not make it in. Who knows? And so, so they had to win. So how do you win and how do you get ahead in a ranking system like that? You got to beat the other team. Right? The only way you get ahead, so by congratulations to my Michigan fans and condolences to Ohio State fans. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I like both teams, so I, I, it was a great game. But anyway, um, 
But the, the way you win, the way that you get ahead is by pushing other people down. That's exactly what the Judaizers are doing on a religious platform is they are being judgmental and pushing the Galatian believers down. Oh, well, you're not as you know, Jewish. You haven't followed the rules as much as we have. And so you're on this level and we're on this level. What legalism does and what sinful living does is it creates a ranking system where people ultimately have to put themselves on pedestals in order to put other people below them at their feet. And that is not what God wants to do in our life. That is not the kind of relationships he wants us to have. It's not the kind of life that he wants us to have. In a religious system, it becomes about me, right? It becomes self-focused and about me and what I'm doing. When success and being faithful and walking in the spirit is about learning to become selfless. And so we need to be careful. And this, what we're seeing spiritually actually applies to all of our relationships, all of the connections that we have with other people. And I think we're seeing a principle. That's why I wanted to go back to 26, verse 26 to set the stage for the rest of this. We're seeing a principle coming out of Scripture that's really important for us to understand. If we want to have a correct relationship with God and if we want to have a correct relationship with other people, if I make things about me, if we're in a relationship and I'm making it about me, then we are going to be competing for love. You're, you're never going to be giving me enough of what I need and what I want and what's going to make me happy. But when we're in a relationship and I make it about you, then we become partners instead of competitors. Amen. And listen, in any relationship that you have, the moment that you turn the corner from being partners to being competitors. As soon as you turn from being teammates to being opponents, the relationship degrades instantly and begins to crumble from the inside out. That's true of our relationship with God. It's true of our relationship with other people. When he went through the works of the flesh, they were interpersonal, weren't they? They were about our relationships and they were selfish. So things like hatred or contentions, dissensions, heresies, envy, all of those are self-centered. And then he went through the fruit of the spirit. And all of those are others-centered. Right? They are selfless. Things like love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness. And it turns out this is the key to healthy relationships. And it's the key to spiritual growth and maturity. Amen. So that's what we need to hear. That's what we need to see. And that's where, that's where he's sort of landing at the end of chapter 5. As we go into chapter 6, what do we do with this now? All right, so let's go and start into chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, so he's talking to believers. Everybody in this scenario is a believer. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is how we fulfill the law of Christ. This is how we do this. This is how we love our neighbor as ourself. A couple things to note. First of all, he says, if a brother, and they're, they're, it's all brothers and sisters in Christ in this scenario, he said, if a man is overtaken, and there's a very specific um, context, a word picture that somebody who spoke Greek at this time would picture when he used the word that he used. And um, the, the, uh, as I was reading and studying, I really loved the way that the Bible knowledge commentary, which is one of my favorite commentaries, I use it every week, um, the way that 
the author of that described this word. Okay, this is, I'm going to quote them. The thought is that of someone running from sin, but sin, being faster, overtakes and catches him. So, now that's important because what that means is that what we're reading about, who we're reading about here, is not a person who is just blatantly sinning in people's face and saying, I'm choosing to do this and whatever. It's not somebody, it's not somebody who's not a believer who's sinning. Okay? It's not somebody who's a non-Christian who's sinning or an a, a, a obstinate believer who's refusing to change. What he's talking about here is when you have one believer who wants to walk in the spirit, who wants to honor God, who wants to live a holy and pure life, but their weakness, they have in their weakness, they have been overtaken by sin. And so they want to walk in the spirit and they want to walk in the light, but they have failed. Okay. And another believer who is walking in the spirit sees them and sees this happening in their life. What are they supposed to do? What do we do? Now, in a, in a legalistic environment, what you end up doing is judging, condemning, accusing, putting down, right? Holding the, taking the law or taking the rule and saying, you've broken this law and trying to make them feel shame or guilt over it, right? But that's not what we're supposed to do in the spirit. That's not what we're supposed to do. The spirit walking believers job. And by the way, at times we're going to be on one side of this equation and at times we're going to be on the other side of the equation. It's not like one is always over here. The other one's always over here. We're always, we tend to be in both places at different times, but the spirit walking believer, their response should be to restore. So that's to look at this other believer and say, I know that you want to walk in the spirit. I know that you want to honor God. And so what I want, and you've, you've slipped or you've fallen. And what I want to do is I want to get you back where you want to be. I want to get you back where you should be. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to help restore you in a spirit of gentleness. Amen. Gentleness. Now, unfortunately, I, and some of you may have been, on the other side of non-gentle accountability from believers. Anybody? <laughs> Where it was clear that, the, that what was coming at you was not being shared in humility, was not being shared because it was truly in your best interest, was not being shared in a way that was actually going to compel you to be pure and holy and to choose to follow Christ and walk in the Spirit. But where it was brought at you in a way, it was clear it was meant to put you down so that that person can be raised up. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are teammates. Pushing someone else down does not lift you up. In fact, pushing someone else down pushes you down too. Because what Christ is looking for and what Christ wants to reward are people who are loving and kind and gentle and patient and peaceful and joyful. Amen. And so our job with each other this is our responsibility, this is our opportunity with each other, is in kindness and in humility to help lift each other up. And in lifting each other up, we too are lifted up. That's the way the equation actually works. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to see here. And he does warn us because when you get down, when you get down in the muck, when you get down in the dirt with someone who is, finds themselves there, it's hard not to get dirty yourself. And so he says, be careful. 
Be cautious as you do this. Make sure you don't get pulled into the sin that they're struggling with. He talks a lot about sexual sin and other things, and it's easy to get pulled into that stuff when you're trying to help someone else. But don't let that scare you. Just know that you're strong enough to do it, all right? And get in there and in love, restore. Kindly restore. It's not selfish. It's selfless. We're a team. We're partners. We're working on this stuff together. And so that it means that we need to have the boldness as believers to kindly correct and to help a believer that we know is trying to walk in the Spirit. Someone here that you're in group with or someone that you serve with or somebody in your life that you know wants to be faithful to Jesus and they're not doing it right now. To be bold enough and willing and kind and loving and tactful enough and all of that to step in and say, I want to help. It also means that we have to have the humility when we're on the other side of the equation to hear from another believer who says, hey, I love you, and I want what's best for you, and I want you to walk and to to know that that's true because of the relationship that we have with them. And when they say, hey, I think you're missing the mark on this thing. I I think that you've slipped in this area. I think sin has overtaken you here. To hear that with humble ears and and willing ears and allow them to draw us over to where we should be. And he says, Paul says, when we do this, this fulfills the law of Christ. This is truly loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is not just giving them food, though it is. It's not just uh, giving them housing, though it is. It's not just giving hugs or praying for people. Truly loving your neighbor is looking at your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your parents, your child, your spouse, your friend, your coworker, your boss, your teammate, is looking at your neighbor, your real neighbor, (laughs) is looking at your neighbor and wanting for them to honor and glorify God with their life and helping them to do that. That is truly loving your neighbor. That is doing for them what is eternal and what is good. And sometimes we can fall short of that because we could help people in a material way or other things, but fail to lead them spiritually to, to the feet of Christ, and that would also, that would be a miss. Truly loving our neighbor means leading them to the feet of Jesus and holding them, in some cases, accountable to walking in the Spirit because you genuinely want what's best for them. That's really doing it. But listen, you can't do this. You can't do this if you aren't in fellowship with other believers. Yes, we have to have lots of different relationships in our life and want to have a lot of different relationships in our life with lots of different kinds of people. But the core of the people that are around you need to be other believers who are committed to walking in the Spirit. You have to have that group of people around you. If the only people around you that you're spending most of your time with are your friends from high school or your, your buddies from work or, or the people from you know, this group or that group or the other, the other parents on the team, the kids on the team or whatever else, and those are the people you're surrounded with and those people are not committed to, to following Christ and to honoring him and to walking in the spirit, they are only going to lead you away. And so we need those kinds of relationships, but the people that are closest to you, and this, this is a moment to analyze your life and your relationships and the influences of people that are around you. The people that are closest to you should be people who are committed to walking in the Spirit so that you can encourage them to continue doing that even when they're overtaken by sin. And they can, conti- they can encourage you to continue doing it when you are overtaken by sin. But if you don't have those people around you, then you will falter and you will struggle. And so you have to have those kinds of people around you. All right, let's go on to verse 3. 
All right, bear one another's burdens, he said. Fulfill the law of Christ. Four, verse three, if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So if you think you're, you know, this is the judgmental attitude, the condemning attitude. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So we don't get lifted up by pushing other people down, right? We are responsible for our own load. Verse 5, for each one will bear his own load, right? Now, it's interesting. It feels like a contradiction because he just said, bear one another's burdens, and now he says, bear your own load. So which is it, right? Well, he used two different words. So when he said burdens, uh, bear one another's burdens, he's talking, they, they would get the picture, the word he used, of a heavy weight being down on your shoulder, like being crushed by a weight. When he uses the word load, you bear your own load, they would get the picture of like a backpack, okay? So he's just saying, carry your own responsibilities. You take care of you. Don't compare yourself to other people. You be responsible for you. And then when you have rejoicing in yourself, and this is pride in a good way, you be proud of the fact that you've walked in the spirit and that you've grown and that God has done incredible things in your life. All right? So while you're carrying that, then in humility, you're helping others. All right? So that's what he means. You will bear your own load. This is done in accountability and humility. We aren't comparing or contrasting ourselves on some spiritual ranking system. We bear our own load. We run our own race. We carry our own pack. We're not competing with each other. And so we're teammates and we're helping each other. It's okay to take pride in how we're running, just not comparing ourselves to others. All right. So then in verse six, a very famous verse, by the way, and I'll talk about why in a moment. Galatians 6, 6, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, we've been reading this whole thing in context. We've been working our way through. We see Paul's train of thought. He is a human being led by the Spirit, but he is walking in a thought right now. And he says, he says let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who te- teaches. I think in context, it makes perfect sense what he's saying, right? The one who's taught the word is the believer who's been overtaken by sin. Let them share in the good things with one who teaches, which would be the mature believer who helped them, right? Who restored them gently. That makes perfect sense. Except that is almost never how this verse is translated. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about this for a second because it gives us something to be very careful of, all right? This, This verse... And even as I'm reading, I have eight commentaries. That's, you know, theologians who have written commentaries on the scripture. I have eight of them that I'm using every single week as I'm going through through this series. And from some different authors with different perspectives, because I want to get different perspectives on things. Every single commentator that I read this week on this verse said, what this verse is saying, if I can be blunt, is pay your pastor. You ever heard, have you ever heard of this verse used that way? I have. I've, I've heard, I've heard, I mean, I've, I'm in that world, right? I've heard tons of, of sermons or messages or talks or whatever where it says pastors should be paid, and this is a verse that is used to defend that. All right, let him who is taught the word, that's someone who is catechized, is, is actually the, it's the, that's the variation of the Greek word. If you think of catechism, right? It's somebody who is taught doctrine or taught, it, it, it means to sound down into the ears, So let the person who is taught uh, the word share, this is the word koinonia, which means fellowship, 
which some places in Scripture does mean money and material things, and other places doesn't. you got to let the context determine how you interpret the word, right? So because it's a generic word, share in all good things with him who teaches, or the one who catechizes, or the one who teaches. And so this verse is taken and plucked right up out of its context, all by itself, and used to say that pastors should be paid. Let the one who teaches, the church member, share in all good things, money, because that's good, with the one who teaches, the pastor, okay? So I'm reading and I'm studying this week and I get to this verse and I start reading all these commentaries and I'm like, that cannot be what Paul meant. But all eight commentaries I was reading in that case said that's what he meant. And that's how I've heard the verse before. And so usually when I disagree with eight great theologians, I'm wrong (laughs) and I'm willing to admit that. But so, so I started digging in. I'm like, I got to figure out why I'm wrong. I need to know why this is chosen to be interpreted this way in, in Scripture. Maybe, there's a, maybe it's the way the word fellowship is, is formed. You know, it's the tense of it, or it's, it's the word order, or maybe there's a word at the beginning that's not translated into English that gives us the idea of changing subjects, or like looking for the reason why, and I couldn't find it. And because I don't want to get up here and just like blatantly tell you something that's dumb when I'm, you know, and and be wrong um, necessarily, although I definitely tell you things that are wrong. I'm sorry, because I just don't know everything, Um, to be fair. Um, But I did what I just, when I don't know what to do, I did what I always do, and I called my dad. My dad, who speaks Greek fluently and Hebrew and is a scholar and has been a pastor for over 40 years. And um, so I called my dad because he's brilliant. And I'm like, Dad, and it was on Thanksgiving, by the way, because I was, I was just like wrestling with it. And on Thanksgiving morning, I called him, like, you got to help me out here. <laughs> you got to help me out. He said, well, first, the first thing I want to tell you is that just because eight, the eight commentaries that you're reading say that that's what this verse means doesn't necessarily mean that's what this verse means um, because they're just ordinary spuds. Like, what do you mean? He said, they're commentators. <laughs> Good job, Dr. Doug. Good job, Dr. Doug. Snuck it in there. Uh, he's going to love that, yeah. <laughs> he's, he said, let me look at it. Let me take some time. Let me look at it. Let me look at some other commentaries and some other things that I have around. And uh, he's got this big library. And so, so he went to work, and he started doing some research, and he found several commentators, well-respected, that don't agree with that translation. Because I just, here's what this, here's what I think that translation does. And I I do think that there are other places in scripture that say it's good to uh, take care of your pastor. It's, I mean, functionally, that's a good thing. I do get paid and that allows me to focus on this rather than doing other things. And so that's good, but I just don't think that's what this verse is saying at all. And here's what I think happens. And, And this is what we need to be careful of. We need to watch out for I think that people use this scripture out of context as a proof text for the point that they want to make. And whether, whether it's intentional or whether it's just an oversight, whether it's just naive, I think that's what's happening. I think people say, well, I want to, I want to prove that pastors should be paid. And so here's a verse that says that. It's, no, that's not what we do with the scripture. So, so we need to be careful, A, of that happening to us. So anytime someone is making a point and they're just salt and peppering scripture on top of it, um, be a little cautious of that if you don't know what that verse means in its context, because that happens a lot. And the other thing is that we should also be careful of doing that ourselves. 
to, to use, to grab scripture, to have a point that we want to make, something that we want to say, something that we think is true. And we're like, oh, here's this scripture that kind of says the same thing or looks like it says the same thing. And, and by adding this scripture to what I'm saying, it adds God's authority behind what I'm saying when it's not actually what God said in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So we just need to be careful of that. This is a place that I think that's happened. I think what Paul is saying here is really clear in the context of everything. I think what, what we're getting here is, is a picture. So if, if I could translate it this way, just to kind of take it and put it in more understandable language, that verse to say, let the humble learner participate in the spiritual good of the gentle teacher. I think that gives us a clear picture of what Paul is saying here. And I get this, this sort of picture in my mind. I get a mental picture of a mature believer, a believer who's walking in the spirit, standing in a big, beautiful, grassy field of wildflowers, a little river, a little brook running through it, one singular tree off in the distance with a, with a rope swing hanging from it. All right, They're standing in this beautiful field, and then there's a fence, and on the other side of the fence, a wasteland. And on the other side, in that wasteland, somebody, a believer that they love, who is walking in the flesh, who's been overtaken by sin, who's experiencing the destruction and the, the fear and the insecurity that goes along with walking in the flesh as a believer. And the, believers, the mature believer who's standing in the field is saying, come over with me. Come over with me. This is where we're meant to live. This is where we're meant to live. So you come across to me. I want to share with you all of the good things that are over here. It's not one big piece of pie that we're fighting for pieces of. We both get to enjoy all of this. And so you come over here with me because I love you. That's the picture that I'm getting. Let he who is taught share in all the good spiritual things of the one who teaches. What an incredible moment. For us as believers, whether we are the one who's in the beautiful field or whether we're the one in the wasteland, what a beautiful moment when the believer who has strayed lifts their leg to go over that fence. What, have, you ever, have you ever experienced that? The feeling of fellowship that happens, the feeling of connection and closeness and depth and gravity that happens, when one believer calls another person across that fence and they come. How uh, the trust that's built in that relationship when you realize we really do love each other. We want to do this for each other because we love each other. We want each other's spiritual good above all things. And we all oscillate back and forth over that fence. We all spend time walking in the flesh and we all spend time walking in the spirit. And we pray that as our life goes on and as we mature in faith that we're spending more and more time walking in the spirit. But we need each other in order to do that. To look at each other, and this, this is the terminology we've used throughout the series, to not condemn one another, but also not to condone the sin that's in each other's lives because we love each other too much for that. We are working on this together. We are walking together. Because there are consequences, real consequences for our actions. Even though as believers we are forgiven of our sins, even though we will spend eternity with God, there are real consequences for our sin. 
here and now. There are real consequences in our relationship with God. There are real consequences in our relationships with each other. And I don't want you to walk in that, and I hope you don't want me to walk in that. Uh, Paul says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So it's not like you're going to put one over on God. It's not like, it's not like God will not be taken advantage of. Because that's what some people's concern about grace is. Well, if salvation, if being a child of God is only by God's grace through faith in him and not of any work of my kind, then couldn't someone just put their faith in Jesus and then just live however they want? Uh, yes, but not without consequence. <laughs> God is not mocked. What a man reaps, he will sow. Or what he sows, he will reap. Verse 8, for he who sows to the fl- his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. That's the experience of everlasting life here and now, living the way God created you to, and you will forever. And let us not, verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. At times, at times, the people who are most faithful to God don't look like they're winning or may not feel like they're winning because they're consistently choosing other people over themselves, choosing other people over themselves, choosing other people over themselves, even when that person may not be making that choice. And in this world, which is self-focused and, 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 and focused on individuals and success and lifting people up and all that kind of stuff, that person who chooses other people over and over and over again will look like they're losing by the world's standards. He said, don't grow weary. Don't give up. The harvest is coming. The payoff is coming. Be patient. Continue in it. And even when we're in the, we're in the midst of it and we have someone that we love and they've been overtaken by sin and we're trying to help, it's not like it happens like that. It's not like we say, hey, I think that you're walking in the flesh in this area, and they're like, okay, great, great, I'll stop. You know, it's not, that was a little Mickey Mouse-ish, what I just said. <laughs> All right, it's not, like, it's not like they just stop. Sometimes it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes investment, it takes energy, it takes, it takes getting down in it over and over and over and over again, and life is messy, and sometimes when we have sown to the flesh and we have sinned and we're reaping corruption, the consequences of that don't go away right away either. We still got to wade through them. Sometimes those consequences last the rest of our life. And we still walk through it, and we we are choosing to be faithful. Do not give up. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, verse 10, therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does he mean when he says do good? Spiritual good. Love one another. Hold each other accountable. Partner with one another. Be kind to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. This fulfills the law of Christ. It's a long and tough road, so don't give up. Keep going. It's hard, but keep going. Reward is waiting for you. And listen, he says, especially to those that are of the household of faith. For those that are not of the household of faith, our goal is to lead them to trust in Jesus. That's our goal. It's not to judge them, not to condemn them. Never was our job, never will be our job. Our job is to lead people who are not of the household of faith to trust in Jesus. That's our job. 
and those who are of the household of faith, our job is to lead them to walk in the Spirit, to love them enough to lead them to walk in the Spirit as we too walk in the Spirit. And the partnership, the fellowship, and the closeness that we experience in those relationships is like no other. When we choose to love and serve the other person for their spiritual best, the closeness and connection and fulfillment you get out of those relationships is unlike anything else you experience in your life. And you can do that with your spouse. You can do it with your parents. You can do it with your children or with your brothers or sisters, your weird uncle who was at Thanksgiving. You can do it with your boss or your physical neighbor next door. You can do it with your teammate or your coach. You can do it with your teacher or your classmate to choose to put them first and their spiritual best first. And now people react differently to that. But when the other person is committed to doing the same, the relationship is unlike anything you'll ever experience anywhere else. And so thank God for these kinds of relationships, this kind of fellowship that he's created for us, and the kind of fellowship that we have with him in the same way. To know that, that he has given us everything, already has in Christ. And so what I'm bringing back to him is to serve him and love him and honor him. So thank God for these kinds of relationships. And thank God for Paul writing to the Galatians and saying all of these things led by the Spirit so that they could live in this kind of fellowship and pass that to us today. All right, so let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love to us that you've given us all sufficient merit in Christ, shining like the sun. And so we thank you that you've given us that by your grace, that simply by putting our trust in Jesus, knowing that he died on the cross in our place and he rose again on the third day, and knowing that if we put our faith and trust in him, we can receive your grace We thank you for the fellowship that that creates with you. To know that we didn't bring anything to the table. There's nothing we've done. We've not kept a list of rules or regulations or kept the law or any of those things well enough to earn our spot with you. We humbly come to your feet and say, Jesus, we trust in you for salvation. Anyone here can do that for the first time today if they've never done it before. Say, I put my trust in Jesus for salvation. And when we do that, we receive your grace. We don't have to do anything to keep that, same as we didn't do anything to earn it. But what you want from us now is you want us to commit to walking in the Spirit and being drawn in the Spirit to a higher level of holiness than the law could ever hold us to. To say in every way in our heart, we want to walk in the Spirit because when we are walking in Him, We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we want to walk faithfully in the Spirit. God, that's our commitment to you too. Any believer that's in the room today, I pray that they'd be committing that with me to you. Our commitment is to walk in the Spirit in every way, in every hour, in every situation of our life. Yet you know that we, God, that we still struggle with sin. That there are times when we are weak and sin overtakes us. 
where we have blinders and we don't see what's happening and it hasn't been open to us yet to see that this is sin or that uh, we, we think we're strong enough to, to overcome it and it catches us. We think we're faster and we're not. And so God, in those moments when we are weak and we are overtaking, we thank you that there are believers around us who love us, who truly love us with an unselfish love, who want to see us restored And thank you for leading them to humbly and kindly and patiently help restore us to what we want, which is to walk in the Spirit in all ways at all times. God, you also give us the responsibility to care for one another in a way that is truly loving and to look at our brothers and sisters who may have been overtaken by sin and to love them enough to help. To help restore them gently. To show them what your will is for their life. To hold them accountable to what they've agreed to. Not to in any way punish them or put them in their place, but so that they can come stand where we are in your goodness and your love in the freedom, in the confidence, in the hope that we experience, the everlasting life that we experience when we walk in the Spirit. And so give us the boldness and the the way to know how to do that and when to do that so that together we can grow, so that together we can honor you. And so in all these things, we thank you, God, and we thank you for the fellowship that you've created, the closeness, the brotherhood, the sisterhood you've created between us. All experience in the closeness that we have with you. We love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and we will love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen.